This is the Manuscript Academy podcast, episode 17, First Pages with an Expert. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Hey, welcome, Kelly Van Zandt. Uh, tell us about yourself. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am a literary agent with DeForio Literary Agency, and I've worked in publishing for about 10 years now, although I just became an agent in January. Cool. What's it? Is it what you expected? It is. You know, that's where I started my career. Uh, I started as a literary agent's assistant, so I was familiar with it and knew what I was getting into. Uh, And I left New York City back in 2009 and moved to Minneapolis, uh, which is my husband's hometown. And so I spent some time on the publisher's side of the fence because the Twin Cities actually has a really vibrant literary community. And we've got lots of great um, small presses out here that are really wonderful. So I spent a couple of years working for them. Um, and then just really decided that advocating for authors was really my passion within the industry, and it was time for me to return to my roots. So so just as an agent who's dealt with contracts departments a lot, I'm curious, what's it like on the other side of that desk? You know, I am so glad that I have um, the experience working with contracts for publishers because um, it gave me a lot of insight and um, a lot of education into, you know, the publisher's perspective on things and why they say no to some things and yes to some other things. Um, So I definitely think that that's been helpful. On the agent side of it, you know, of course, you're both um, pushing for different things. Agents want to preserve the most rights possible for their authors. They want to make sure that their authors have equitable contracts that are fair, that give their writers creative control over their own intellectual property. And publishers want to get the most that they can and, and you know, preserve their rights as a company. And so you're coming at it from de- very different places. I think when you do contracts as an agent, um, it's more personal. You know, it's not about the company line. It's about this individual author and their rights and what they want to do with their career. So I like that personal side of it. Were most people nice to you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You, you form like a, (laughs) as, as a contracts manager for publishers, which is what I used to do. Um, there's, you know, a healthy level of respect. Um, I think it helps when you have a contracts manager doing contracts rather than editors doing their own contracts because editors are yes people, right? They want to say yes. They want to keep the authors happy. They want to preserve that relationship. They want to, um, you know, acquire new product projects. And so editors are yes people. And to do contracts for a publisher, you have to be a no person. And so <laughs> it helps. It helps when they can shove that off to a contracts manager or a contracts department um, so the editor can kind of wash their hands and, and you know, remain remain a neutral party. Um, but, yeah, you know, people push back as they should. Agents should push back if you get responses that, you know, don't sit right with you. Um, you know, so there's definitely there's definitely pushback, but I don't think it ever got out of line. I think everybody ultimately is there because they love books and they want to make the best books possible. And so, you know, there's a professional respect. Good. I always wondered if people called <laughs> you up and yelled at you. <laughs> I'm glad yeah, that didn't I mean, happen. I mean, not often. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's frustrating, right? Like it's little tiny type. It's all these things you have to go over and over again. So it's 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 kind of a high stress situation for both people if you keep pushing back on the same points. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm glad everyone maintained some level of civility. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about this first page? What drew you to this page and how'd you choose it? I really chose it based on the first line, actually. Um, When I was going through looking at some of the samples that listeners had submitted, um, I was going through and I saw this one and I saw that first line and it really just drew me in. So I wanted to read the rest of the query. Very cool. 
if the first line and the first page can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. This is the first page of Muse Warrior by Erin Shackery. And Erin, I apologize if I pronounced your name incorrectly. My new life begins with a spark. First, a pinch in the center of my forehead, sharp enough to make me close my eyes. Then my skin tingles and a burst of inspiration seems to burst through my skin. Before I can even open my eyelids, I'm imagining my first sketches of Italy on a fresh page in Notebook 19. Apartment towers lined with laundry and streets littered with beat up cars, everything layered in smog and smoke. In movies, Italy is all vineyards and farmhouses. In Naples, it's chaos. Daydreaming? Dad squeezes my shoulder, then nods to some chairs across the lobby. I'll check us in. You two sit tight. As he sidles up to the registration desk, I shake my head, blurry with jet lag, and take in the sad, dim lobby of the oddly named American Hotel. Italy sucks. Troy nudges me with his elbow and calls the chair closest to the elevator. Come on, E. Give it a chance. I follow my brother past a group of kids sprawled across backpacks and each other's legs. They're about our ages, chattering loudly in a mashup of European languages, earphones dangling from their ears. No cares, no worries. Their dads didn't just move them halfway across the world. I shrug off my backpack and toss it onto our pile of mismatched suitcases. A chance is a week-long vacation, not selling our house and moving. Dramatic much? Troy stretches out like a starfish and the chair sags. We've been in the country about an hour, Eden. Chill out. He turns his head and a girl across the room, a brunette with Botticelli curls, notices the bright patch of purple behind his right ear. Then her eyes fall on the violet hair spilling over my right shoulder. Troy sees the girl and nods, but I fidget with my hair, self-conscious. I twist the whole mess into a knot and tie it back, hoping the purple streak is hidden by brown hair, cursing our shared birth defect, a recessive trait from our mother's family. I wish it was recessive, I mutter. Troy kicks my chair and mouths chill before returning to his phone. The electronic whine of his game bleeps and blips and beeps, and he's oblivious to me again. Wow. Mm. You're a good reader. I know. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I love reading aloud. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Oh, this is lovely. Now I just want you to read audiobooks for me. <laughs> oh, me too. I was like, oh, we should have this thing where we just have, you know, you want to really hear it? We'll just hire you because like, you make it sound so amazing. So before we, before we dig in, we're going to set the timer for 10 minutes. All, All right. So once again, saying, how much work can you get done on a first page in 10 minutes? So tell us what you think. What are your initial thoughts? So as I said before, I love this first line. My new life begins with a spark. I just was immediately intrigued. I want to know more about what is this new life? You know, what is happening? I was just immediately drawn in right from the beginning. And then we kind of move into this paragraph about, you know, the pinch at the center of the forehead. And this is kind of where, I guess, you know, when we're given this page, we don't really have a lot of information about, um, you know, the target audience or the genre. It seems like YA to me. Um, and based on the first line and based on the purple hair, which we get later, I'm going to assume that there's something speculative about it. I don't know if it's outright fantasy or maybe magical realism or science fiction. I'm not really sure. I don't have enough information just based on this first page to know that. Um, but it seems to me like it's there's something heightened about it, that it's not exactly our real world as it as it stands um 
So when we move into this first paragraph about the pinch in the center of the forehead, and she's got this burst of inspiration, and it seems to be like about drawing and sketches, and that's all really interesting to me. What I wanted, something like a question that I had after that first paragraph is, we don't get her reaction to that. I don't know, is this normal? Like, does she normally get these like sudden like inspirations where she wants to draw things? Or is this something, is this the spark? Is this the unique thing that is about to change everything? And because we don't get her reaction to it, I don't know. So it's kind of like I was immediately drawn in and then I had questions about, I I didn't feel grounded. I didn't know what was going on quite. I I agree with the grounded. I was reading the first paragraph and thinking that we didn't know how old she was. You didn't know if they were traveling for a short period of time or for a long period of time. Um, I was concerned something medical was happening that was a little dangerous. Just the pinch in the forehead sounded a little bit scary. Um, So I wasn't really sure of the tone yet. And personally, I really like a lot of um, grounding information woven into those first few paragraphs because as soon as I'm set knowing pretty much the who, what, where, why, uh, the tone, what's likely to happen, you can take me anywhere, but I need that first. And I think I might need more of that than a lot of readers do, but it is something that I was hoping for here. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, for, I think a lot of information is packed into this first page, but I don't necessarily know that it's the information that we need to get started. So we've already got two relationships set up. We've got the relationship with her dad and the relationship with her brother. And neither one is really specific enough to tell me anything beyond just like, this is my brother, this is my dad. There's nothing unique about those individual relationships. And I think, you know, rather than spend time on some of that little dialogue that's essentially inconsequential. It's not dialogue that tells me anything specific about who these people are. Um, It's just kind of generic. I wish that we had more information, like you said, about Eden, about who she is, how she's feeling, you know, what it is that she's doing, um, because she's our access point into this story. And so I think that more information about her would be really helpful. Julia, what do you think? Um, I totally agree with you guys. You know, I I was kind of thrown off when we got to the purple hair because I was starting to think, oh, maybe this is like a coming of age story. And I was trying to make meaning as we went through. And the purple hair, I was like, whoa. You know, so all of a sudden it felt like a genre switch to me. Yeah. Um, and because of the genre switch, I think that if she had established maybe, you know, what type of world this is at the get-go, maybe, and even in those first two paragraphs, that I would have been willing to, oh, you know, this is a family that's moving, but then they're, they're very different life than what we have. Um, so I kind of wanted all of that stuff just moved up and maybe stylized throughout, um, just as a first page, kind of pulling us into a story. I did think it was very cool, though, that they talked about the purple hair as being recessive. Because I love com- that too. Yeah. yeah. That combination of science and magic, I always think is pretty cool. And purple hair yeah. is really interesting. And that they are kind of an oddity in Italy. Like they are being seen. That is really, really interesting. And maybe if you even started with the other group taking them in and really blew that up, that might essentially just kind of work, you know? Yeah. Um, it's hard saying. Yeah. Something like they were staring at us again. This always happened. Right. Yeah. Something that lets us know how she feels about it, that brings it right to the forefront. I agree with both of you. Because you could, I mean, Italy could come in towards the end of the page and would be grounded there. Or even that 
next page and you would still have that conflict of feeling out of place in your own space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and right now we kind of know based on this first page, we know that she's unhappy about moving. Um, but we don't really know why her brother seems to be fine with it. You know, we don't know what makes it personal for her that she's upset about it. And so I think, you know, that I think this first page focuses a lot on, on that, on the mechanics of like, we're going over to the chair and now we're sitting down at the chair and our luggage is on the chair. And, you know, there's like a lot of like mechanics about the space and the physical things that the characters are doing coupled with this kind of back and forth dialogue that doesn't necessarily tell us as much as if we were just in Eden's head, watching her observe what was going on around her and, and how she felt about it personally. Yeah, I agree. I really love though, this chap, this paragraph um, with the brother when he turns his head and the girl across the room, a brunette with Botticelli yeah. church curls. There's yeah. so many great imagery here. And like the brother, I like, I like leaning back like a starfish. I was like, yeah. wow, that is. A- <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of those images are so good, you know, that really, you could tell that this writer is going to listen to this and just go back. And, and I trust this, this writer is going to fix this because the way that she does stylize, you know, her, her imagery. You know, yeah. I, I almost wonder the dialogue with the brother, because I like that he's there too. And I wonder that if that's kind of there as a contrast of these magical things are happening, but these typical things are happening too. Um, mm-hmm. Kelly, I don't know if you remember, but there were a few years when I kept getting paranormal queries that were saying, you know, this character is a typical teenager, except for this magical yeah. thing. <laughs> and I'm wondering if um, the, the the dialogue there is the the equivalent in the page of the typical teenager thing set off for contrast. Yeah. Yeah. I like this same paragraph that Julie was talking about, the one with the Botticelli curls that we get toward the end. I think it's really one of the most evocative paragraphs we get. And I like that the reader seems to, not the reader, the writer at this point seems like she's kind of hit her stride. She feels a little bit more comfortable in this part, mm-hmm. I think, than some of the others, because, you know, we can see that, Troy, the brother, you know, when the when the Botticelli girl looks at him and notices his hair, he meets her gaze head on. He nods, you know, he and this Eden is the one who is self-conscious. She puts her hair up. You know, she doesn't want to be looked at. She doesn't want to be seen. And we get a lot of that information um, about both characters, you know, just through the way that they react to that one look. And I think, you know, that's that's the most intimate information that we get about them. And it's really well done because it's subtle. You know, we're not drawing a lot of attention to it or making it a big thing. But just by the way that these characters react, we learn more information about them. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious to see um, why Italy as we read on. I mean, it's a cool yeah. place for a story, um, but there's going to be a reason that the author chose that uh, as opposed to anywhere else in the world. So I'm curious to see what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to, to this, this thing at the beginning um, with the, with the pinch in the forehead and then, you know, she gets this like burst of inspiration and based on the title alone, Muse, I have a feeling that art is going to be somehow, you know, a recurring important part of this book. Mm -hmm. Um, So I understand the, the desire to bring it in right from the beginning, if that's going to be a core part of what this story is about. Um, But again, it feels a little bit disconnected from the rest of what's going on. You know, I don't know if, um, 
if this is like usual for her, does she always draw? Does she have, you know, and that's something that you can talk about too. Like instead of just her, you know, backpack being thrown, you know, on top of the other luggage, you know, does she have her sketchbook that she could throw down there? Like what are the ways that you can bring these, this information about this character and who she is into these, um, into the writing in a very casual, like organic way. Has anyone actually written a book where they used the sketchbook as a space to see the world? That's a really interesting technique I haven't seen used. Yeah. That'd be cool. I like that it's Notebook 19, too. That's, mm. that's Yeah, that's, that's specific. That tells us, like, we've got 18 other notebooks that we've gone through, and this is number 19. And I like that she, you know, has that juxtaposition between what Italy is like in the movies versus what she's actually seeing now that she's here in front of her. And I think that dichotomy is interesting too and can be tied back into you know the purple hair that like what we see on the surface isn't always necessarily um connected to the deeper realities of something and that is 10 minutes 10 minutes it felt like a long 10 minutes didn't it we got a lot of work done i'm looking forward to seeing um how this works in art as metaphor and how she sees the world and uh forgive me guys but i have to do it i suppose in a first page we have to chip away all that is not the first page just like we have to chip away the marble that is not david perfect ending jessica i know i was just reading that metaphor in a book last night i couldn't help it (laughs) wish i could do art wouldn't that be cool like chipping away at marble yeah, oh, I would love that. <laughs> um, any final thoughts, Kelly? No, I mean, again, I chose this query for a reason. I think um, there's a lot about it that I think is really, really interesting. So, you know, I think that um, the writer definitely is onto something and, and is going to be telling a really interesting story here. Yay. Great. Well, Kelly Van Sant, thank you so much for joining us on um, the Manuscript Academy podcast, First Pages. Um, this is Julie Kingsley. And Jessica Sinsheimer. And if you're feeling especially brave, you can send your first page to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com. And unlike when submitting a query, we want it to be a Word document. Thank you. <laughs> so, Kelly, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me at my website, penandparsley.com, but also at the Publishing Crawl Blogs podcast. So that's um, Pub Crawl Podcast. We're in iTunes, uh, Stitcher, anywhere that you normally find podcasts. And I co host that with SJ Jones, author of Winter Song. She goes oh. by JJ. Yeah. And, uh, and we talk every week about reading, writing, books, and booze. So if you have any questions about publishing or books or the book industry then uh then check us out we'd love to have you if you enjoy what you heard you could of course hit the subscribe button for the manuscript academy podcast and we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us let us know how we're doing here so we can make this podcast the best it can be if you're feeling really brave you can send your page to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com and if you'd like to check us out you can go to manuscriptacademy.com 